This is episode 278 of the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know, if you're pregnant and want step-by-step guidance on how to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, how to prepare mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing, how to have your partner feel confident to support you during birth, and how to navigate a smoother postpartum recovery, my Bump to Birth Method online program is available for you to join. It's three programs in one, covering pregnancy, birth prep, and postpartum recovery, plus you get lifetime access to the program content and bonuses. Bump to Birth Method is my on-demand, self-paced online program where you can learn from the comfort of your own home through video and audio lessons on how to best connect to your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy beyond traditional Kegels, strategies to help common pregnancy pains and pelvic floor symptoms, my top strategies to prepare your mind, body, and pelvic floor for labor, how to best support you and your pelvic floor during pushing, key strategies for your partner to support you during labor, and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum. Bonuses include expert interviews, core and pelvic floor yoga class, three strength training workouts, hospital and home birth bag lists, meditation tracks for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum recovery. Whether you're preparing for your first or fifth birth, if you're ready to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, feel fully prepared mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum recovery, then head to the show notes or go to bumptobirthmethod.com to see what other expecting moms have said about bump to birth and to enroll today. So welcome back to the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here. And on today's episode, I have a special guest, Rachel Spillman, who recently went through my bump to birth method online program when preparing for her first birth. And on today's episode, she's excited to share about her pregnancy journey, her birth experience, and where she's at postpartum now. And rewind many years ago, Rachel and I actually originally met after graduating our master's in physiotherapy. We went to different universities, but met in Toronto afterwards through a mutual friend. So it's pretty cool years later working together as she was preparing for her daughter Sky's birth. And Rachel listened to many of the birth stories on the podcast. So she was excited to share about her experience to kind of add to that list of stories because it's so important that more hear positive birth experiences and a variety of birth experiences that can be positive. So thank you so much, Rachel, for being on. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Good to see you again. Yeah. Yes. I know. 
I know it's like we're definitely farther than when we both lived in Toronto. But yeah, so good to see you. And do you want to share anything else about yourself or your family um, before we jump into about your pregnancy experience? Yeah, sure. So uh, like in, like you mentioned, um, I, I, we met in Toronto. So I'm actually from Canada. I'm from New Brunswick. Um, that's where all my family now still lives. But I currently live in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, so shortly after graduating PT school, I became a traveling PT in the States because I just wanted to experience some different places and kind of get that experience of traveling and get a little bit of adventure. So traveled around for a few years before I kind of settled down in Fairbanks, where I eventually kind of created now some roots because I met my now husband. So I fell in love with a boy, <laughs> um, fell in love with Fairbanks. And then now this is where I call home. So I um, currently I'm working as a physical therapist. Um, I'm on my maternity leave right now, but I was uh, most previously working at the the local hospital here. I'm mostly outpatient based and I actually kind of have been specializing in the last few years with chronic pain. So that's a passion of mine of helping people with chronic pain. So I was in the last few years, I think very uh, getting really deep into more than neuroscience of pain. Um, so which I think helped me a lot in preparing for my own pregnancy and birth because um, it gave me some good. But even with that said, I knew there was so much more I needed to know specifically. So that's where I reached out to you. And I was very excited that you offered that program to learn, learn more. Yeah, no, I think that makes such a difference understanding pain and, you know, why we have pain experiences and then bringing that into birth, which we touch on in bump to birth. But I think also having that background, I'm sure really mm -hmm. served you. Uh, during right. Sky's birth. So yeah. why don't we start with how, how did you feel in your pregnancy, kind of like physically, mentally, emotionally? How was that experience for you? Overall, I think my pregnancy was very enjoyable. And I, and I, and I say that, and I, you know, um, I feel very fortunate because I know a lot of women that may not have had that experience, but I actually did very well throughout all of my pregnancy. Um, the first trimester was, I think, very classic, you know, a little bit of morning sickness. Um, but really, I kind of figured out pretty quick if I kept eating, as long as I never got hungry, I felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of went pretty smoothly. I was able to work um, full time throughout pretty much a whole pregnancy. Second trimester was great. It definitely what they say about the honeymoon section. Like I felt great. And then third trimester, kind of typical things. You get start getting really uncomfortable, hard to sleep, kind of those stereotypical things that we kind of expect. So overall it went really well. Um, like I said, I continued working right up until 35 weeks. I had planned to try to work as long, right up until the day if possible. But I actually uh, developed Bell's palsy at 35 weeks, which essentially forced me and I, my midwife and, you know, suggested you need to take the time off and let your body heal and rest, which I'm very, very glad I did. Um, looking back, um, it's kind of funny because throughout I'm very, very active. Um, I also do CrossFit. I'm a CrossFit coach. I work full time. Um, I have lots of other different hobbies and things. My husband and I are very outdoors and adventurous. So we're very, very out, go, go, go. Um, and throughout my whole pregnancy, I thought I was modifying appropriately. Um, but I started having like in the Bell's palsy, I had a lot of early Braxton Hicks. Um, and I look back now and I kind of 
not laugh at myself, but I've learned a good lesson where my midwife continuously told me, Rachel, you need to slow down. You need to modify. And, you know, and I'm like, I am. And I really was. And I think it was finally when the Bell's palsy hit, it was a very big wake up call that, and I remember my midwife, my midwife told me, Rachel, your normal is way up here. And yes, you have modified your activities down a little, but you're still so high or doing so much more than probably you should. Like your body just needs time to relax. So I had hard lesson learned. Um, but then I think it, it was a very, it was a blessing in disguise that I think the Bell's palsy, because it really forced me at 35 weeks to focus on my own health and my mental health, my physical health. And I had those last five weeks to just really enjoy and kind of have some me time um, and really prepare um, even more going into birth. So it was, it was good. Yeah, no, I think it, it helps people to hear all the different, you know, trimesters, mm -hmm. how you felt during each one, because everyone has mm -hmm. such a different experience, but I think it's so key for people to hear how you talked about, you know, slowing down a little bit sooner and you can still be active. You can still do the mm -hmm. things you want. But yeah, depending on the level of activity going into pregnancy, mm -hmm. modification will look different for right. everyone. So I think it's great that people heard that experience. And how did things go with Bell's palsy for you? So those last weeks before giving birth, mm. how was that journey with it? And how, you know, after giving birth kind of symptoms? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it can, I don't, I don't know if the listeners know much about Bell's palsy, but it's basically a facial paralysis that affect one of the, the facial nerve. Um, it can be very scary on the onset because it's can be kind of sudden, you know, partial facial droop, which also, sh you know, um, shares the same signs and symptoms possibly of a stroke. So um, kind of a funny story and being a physical therapist, I I'm, I'm aware of that. And so the day I woke up and I started noticing it, I very practically, you know, assessed myself and I was 90% sure that, okay, this is not a stroke. Um, cause I did a few other assessments. I'm like, okay, I think, but I probably should go in and my husband was working and I'm home by myself. So I was like, well, I'll drive myself to the urgent care. Um, and afterward, my husband was like, why did, why didn't you call me? I was like, it was fine. Um, but I got to the urgent care and of course they did what was best, um, in terms of, uh, want to be extra careful. And they were like, this could be a stroke. So it kind of turned scary very quick. I think it was the first time really in my life that um, being a medical professional that I actually was on the other side and the patient. Um, and it was a very interesting experience, very scary experience. Cause then they took me to the hospital via ambulance and did all, cause they really needed to rule out stroke, but it wasn't a stroke. So that was good. Um, and really it just Bell's palsy. It kind of just goes away on its own, um, with time. Some people it takes weeks, sometimes it's months. I was lucky. It pretty much took six weeks on the, on the dot. So the last five weeks, it kind of got worse before it started getting better. But I really think by that, that first week of being pregnant was kind of when I started really noticing or not noticing the symptoms. And I would say almost almost fully recovered in six weeks. So I was very fortunate that it came on fast, but I, it really quickly subsided, which I was very, um, very excited. Cause I just thought it was just one extra stress, like going into pregnancy and it really affects you. Like I was having trouble eating. I'm of course like smiling and moving your face, but eating and speaking was very difficult. Yeah. Thankfully the bulk of that was, um, pretty much healed by the time I actually gave birth in the hospital. Um, and then I say fully healed by 
by that six week mark. So I was very, very lucky. Definitely great with timing because it's true. I know people who've had so many variations in the timeline. And I think, you know, the fact that you did slow down, like all the stress side of it did, you know, change that that probably contributed to, um, and then not feeling at the height of it going into birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In pregnancy, I know going through bump to birth, but in general, Mm -hmm. what were the different, um, kind of steps you took to prepare for giving birth? Right. I would say I probably did every single thing (laughs) that you recommended to the like X end degree. Um, it was very important to me that I really wanted to try to have a completely natural birth as as little medical inv- intervention as possible to t- decrease the the chance of, you know, medical interventions or, you know, so for me, it was important that when I, and I loved your course and I think taking your course really helped me understand and set my mental framework of, you know, my birth preferences and un- really understanding like educate yourself on all of the options, even though I had a preference or a plan, air quote plan of what I would want. Um, I think you really helped me understand, no, like understand everything. And that way, and for me, I wanted to, if if I ended up going into my birth and it took a, a, a turn towards cesarean or needed intervention, um, that I would be okay with that as long as I felt after that I had done everything to prepare. So um, that's what was really important to me. So I felt like I really did do everything possible to prepare um, so I could go into birth and okay, let's just ride with, ride this out and let's see what happens, you know, and I'm okay with whichever way it went. So um, I mean, so I really focused on, I probably listened to every single one of your podcasts. <laughs> Um, I really dove into like evidence-based, based birth, some other resources that you had mentioned, spinning babies. So a lot of good, um, research-based, uh, resources. Listen, like I said, listen to a lot of podcasts. I started doing some meditation, like the, Mm -hmm. the meditation from the one that from your course, I really enjoyed that one. Um, I found a few other ones online through a few Mm -hmm. other, um, people that I really liked, um, so a lot of meditation, I started doing prenatal yoga. Um, I was doing all of the exercise, physical exercises to really prepare my body. I really was focusing a lot on the meditation and psychological prep to like for my mental health. Uh, I, I had a really good relationship with my midwife. So I felt like I could really ask her and really talk uh, a lot about my questions and my fears and get those answered. So I think that really helped a really good relationship with, with her. And yeah, so I think I did every, everything I'm trying to give. I touched a little bit on um, hypnosis, didn't go too deep into that, but kind of read a little bit into hypnosis. Um, but yeah, I think I did a little bit of everything um, yeah. just so I would feel totally prepared going in. Yeah, I think it's so great for people like you touched on the physical, but also the mental, because now mm-hmm. having gone through birth, mm-hmm. do you feel like it's just as much a mental event Absolutely. Physical, right? Absolutely. So it's like that mental prep plays such yep. a key role and how you're describing. So I based bump to birth very much on how I prep and how I prep my clients. And mm-hmm. we're similar in to have a pretty strong athletic background. Mm-hmm. And if someone else were to hear how you prepped, it's very mm-hmm. similar to how you would prep for any athletic event. You're a runner, you're a swimmer and triathlete, doesn't matter, right? right. You need to prep physically and mentally mm-hmm. and prep for all the options. Mm-hmm. So you did Correct. all of the things yes. and yes. and we'll talk about your birth in, in a little bit, but yeah. definitely can make 
such a right. such a big difference and absolutely like had you done yoga much before? Because I think it's helpful for people to hear who come from a strong strength-based background mm -hmm. to know the mobility and the letting mm -hmm. go and the release mm -hmm. work really yeah. complements the strength. Absolutely. Not yeah. a whole lot. Yoga has always been for me, something I've always struggled with as a physical therapist, as a crossfitter, as a strength, as a coach. I, I understand completely the importance of mobility. And I, I teach almost my every single patient every day, the importance of mobility, not just strength, but it's something I personally struggled with to, you know, put my money where my mouth is and, and spend that time myself. So I always would be wanting to do yoga classes. And I just found I could never fit it into my schedule, but I definitely, so in terms of structured yoga, not really, but with my own practice, like my own athletic and strength, I always do mobility you know, on my own. Um, but I always felt like, oh, I should spend a little more time. And I think get, coming into pregnancy, that was what really, okay, Rachel, like, let's spend the time and really focus on, you know, the, the relaxing and the mobility. So I did a prenatal class at a local studio here. I'd go once a week and start doing a prenatal and that, especially the last few weeks, that's what I really focused on, um, to the relaxation. What I learned from your class, it's less mm -hmm. about, being strong and going into pregnancy, being strong. It's I, it, how I interpreted kind of what you taught me was it's actually more important, at least for me to go in feeling that I can be relaxed and mobile. And, you know, so that's, I try to focus more on, on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And then having gone through, right. Like it's that idea with contractions or surges mm -hmm. is like, the, the more you can ride that wave and go mm -hmm. with it versus I find mm -hmm. when it's just strength training you've done before, it's almost like you're kind of fighting it. You're like, I can fight yeah. through this and yeah. it doesn't work that well. Whereas if you yeah. can let go into it, use your breath, mm -hmm. use the mobility work, yeah. that's where you feel. That's it, right? where, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And how did you feel like in terms of even, even going into that pregnancy before being pregnant mm -hmm. or during your pregnancy? what were the types of birth stories you had heard or had mm. had friends or family kind of, you know, put their recommendations on you or suggestions, right. or did you right. feel like you didn't really experience that? I think a little, I think I heard a little bit of everything with birth stories. Mm -hmm. I think I was very aware and I think a lot to do with the amount of preparation I did in taking your course. I was starting to become very aware of when, what people would say, you know, and be able to kind of anal not analyze, but I guess kind of step back and see from a, almost like step back a little bit and kind of like, oh, that was what they just asked me was kind of negative and kind of, I guess, understanding that when people would say maybe some more of those typical negative things like, oh, sleep now, because you're never going to sleep again. And that they really did mean, uh, most people mean, they don't mean harm. Or what, whatnot, but I think um, a good mix of everything. I think I heard a lot of positive stories from some of my friends. Um, I think I have I have three sisters and my mother, and I loved like going back and like, okay, tell me all the details. And they had all fairly positive birth experiences, um, and even my mother. And so um, I took a lot of strength in that. I remember even going into my birth and during my birth, mentally kind of just telling myself like my mother did this I can do this too and just kind of so using thinking that they the strength that they had really helped me um I would hear some negative birth stories and definitely some friends would kind of maybe start saying um some more negative things but I chose to 
okay, say thank you, great, and kind of maybe just push that out or not engage in that. Um, but I think overall, it was fairly positive um, that I experienced. Yeah. And I sought out positive birth stories. Like if I even went online to look, I really only focused on positive birth stories and um, yeah, just to kind of dampen that fear and, you know, kind of keep, keep my mind open and in that kind of right direction. Yeah. I think, I think that's so great for listeners to hear, to know you can seek out positive birth stories and a variety of them, right? Cause you heard all different types of stories mm -hmm. like unplanned cesareans mm -hmm. and whether it was forceps vacuum, but to see that common thread of how you yeah. talked about, you know, being supported, understanding options. Yeah. We talk about informed consent that even if birth goes kind of in a different direction with those pieces, it can mm -hmm. still be positive. So yes. I think that's yeah. helpful for, and the boundaries you put too, right? Like if someone right. shared their negative experience, kind of how you were like, mm -hmm. I will take that and then move forward. So, right. I think it's just so yeah. important to the fear, you know, is to do what you need to do, educate yourself duty to really dampen that fear. Um, and so going into my birth, I wasn't, I truly wasn't afraid of the pain. I've had a very good understanding and I'm not going to be naive. It's like, this is going to be painful. Right. Um, but it doesn't have to be scary. And that's why it's going to be painful, but I'm going to set myself up with tools and, you know, it, things that I can focus on to help dampen the pain. And I really wasn't afraid of the pain. And I think that's a huge topic that with my patients, you know, that I try to teach. And I have this little saying that I teach my patients and it came in so handy for me is uh, no pain, no pain. So can no pain. So K-N-O-W mm -hmm. to no pain you know, you can have no N-O pain, you know, um, and I'm not saying that I had no pain during birth, but the idea of the more you understand pain, the less you fear it, the more you're able to manage it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's was kind of my whole premise of going into, into my birth is just trying to decrease that fear as much as possible. And I think that was so important. It's just, yeah, so important. Yeah. And I think it can change your experience with those mm -hmm. contractions, right? Whether it's, yeah, you may, some people like I felt with my birth, I more caught like there was intensity, but mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily name that pain. It didn't feel yes. like pain. It just felt like an intense sensation. Right. So right. even with that, right, like knowing yep. you could even change your experience about what mm -hmm. that meant to you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. changing the language around it too. So that was important. Yeah. Um, I did hire a doula, yeah. um, which hands down, probably the best thing I did, um, for sure in my, in my whole experience was higher having a doula there. And she was amazing. And we talked a lot of that before and talked to my midwife before talked to my husband before words that I, you know, really want you guys to focus on and maybe some words to avoid. Cause that absolutely can affect things while you're in it, you know, like mm -hmm. I wanted to use the word more wave or surge and not contraction to kind of mm -hmm again, keep that language and keep that, like how you view the pain as, like you said, more talk about more as, as intense, but not scary, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that absolutely helped the whole mental piece for sure during. Yeah. I love how you had such an awesome supportive team. Like anytime I was checking in, you're like, my midwife's awesome. We've got a doula. Yes. Your husband was great. Yes. Um, and so I think that'll, it'll be great to kind of hear now about Sky's birth to hear yeah. kind of how all those pieces 
then fit together into your birth experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So she actually, I should have bought a lot of ticket um, because Sky was born on her due date, which apparently is like less than 50% or super low that actually happens. That's kind of funny. Um, I joke, we, I absolutely, she is her, she is her father's daughter because my husband is very punctual. He's a city planner and he likes to have things planned. And I just laughed. I woke up the, the night before she was due um, I woke up literally at 12.01. I looked at the clock and I felt a contraction and I just laughed and I just had a feeling. I'm like, this baby is going to come on her due date. And sure enough, it did. So contraction started about midnight, went back to sleep. It was probably about two, about two hours later on 2 a.m. where I woke up where I could no longer sleep through the contractions. Um, kind of waited for about an hour. I timed my contractions and it was, I pretty much knew by 2.30, like they were getting really strong. I waited till three, um, more so to try to get as much sleep as I could, let my husband sleep. But by three, I was like, okay, we, we, it's go time. Um, got to the hospital probably around four. And by that time, um, my contractions were, it was, it started, it ramped up really quick. So things came on really quick. They were about three minutes apart. Um, got to the hospital, but within the first three hours of being at the hospital, I went from two centimeters dilated. And when they first checked me, I was two centimeters and I was fully effaced um, within three hours, I was, uh, nine centimeters and ready to go. So it was very quick. Um, the first few hours, um, and the doula, my doula came and I basically called her when I was on the way to the hospital. She met me there. So she was there from like moment one. Um, I could not have done it without her. So those first three hours of just kind of going through the contractions, um, it's kind of a blur. (laughs) Um, thinking back now, it's, I, I, it's almost like I zoned out. But to be honest, I don't think that describes it better. The way I describe it is I was zoning in, like zoning into me and my breath and and my body. And I just remember feeling kind of almost like out of touch from what was happening around me. I remember at one point um, we got through a contraction and I opened my eyes and there's like three nurses, my midwife, my husband, my doula. And I was just like, and then it was light out. All of a sudden it was like, where when I came to the hospital, it was dark. And I just remember being like, whoa, when's the last time I opened my eyes? I just, cause I was just kind of so focusing on that mental and kind of zoning into me, which really helped, you know, get through it. My doula was like at me, at my side the whole time. Like, I don't think her hands ever came off my body. She was amazing, constantly massaging or um, even just holding my hand and, and being at that physical and mental um, support person, which was amazing. My husband was amazing. He did um, what I expected. He's very squeamish around hospitals and I knew he would not feel the most comfortable, but but he, I was so proud of him. Like he was the, okay, whenever I wanted water, whenever I wanted food, like he was, he was there. He was more that like, I could hear him. I could, he was always within earshot that I could hear him saying encouraging things. And I think my proudest moment of my husband is at one point towards after about the three hours where it kind of, I was in transition. It was like, okay, getting ready to push. Um, basically things kind of slowed down a little bit. So then the rest of the story is then I spent about three hours essentially in transition slash pushing phase. And that was very difficult. And that was, that, that was a very difficult part. Um, but during that part where things slowed down, it got to the point where my midwife actually was it, it um, encouraging or recommended a little bit of Pictocin to try to shorten I was there was too much time in between my contractions I kind of got stuck 
She's like, let's give you a little bit of pictosa just to kind of help. And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, I really don't want it. And just, but again, zoning in, I couldn't, I just couldn't verbalize. And my husband, like he, he used the brain, he used the acronym brain. And he said to my midwife, like, okay, what are, what are the risks? What are the potential, you know, goods and bads? And then he's like, can we just have a little more time? How about let's give it 30 minutes. And if she doesn't progress in 30 minutes, then we'll do does. And so we, he made this plan and it was so great. It was so great. Um, and so essentially 30 minutes went by and I really hadn't, I was still really struggling. So we decided to do Pictosin and actually that was what kind of helped me get over that little bump. And my contractions got a little shorter together, not necessarily stronger. They just came shorter together. And I was able to kind of push through and go without any other medical intervention, kind of give birth, um, that way. So I was so proud of my husband and my midwife and the dual, it was just such a good, such a good good team. I remember probably looking back now, it's kind of funny. There was absolutely a point where I remember thinking, I want the epidural, right? And that was basically right at the transition, kind of just getting into pushing. I remember thinking, I can't handle this anymore and being aware. And then I was like, so upset with myself in my, in my moment, like, come on, Rachel, be more mental strong. You can do this. But I felt like my mental, it wasn't my physical body. It was like my mental body, my mental, I felt like I was fatiguing and I loved my midwife for what she did and looking back and I've told her since that it meant so much to me like in that moment where I was like I need an epidural well now looking back it was too late for an epidural obviously because it was but she instead of her telling me it's too late for an epidural which I think would have crushed my mental she looked at me and she's like Rachel you don't need an epidural and my doula is like you don't need an epidural you're strong you got this you're almost there your your baby's almost here you can do this and i was like you're right you're right okay i can do this and that really helped me push through and after i it wasn't until after that i learned you know actually from my husband he was like well you know in the middle i've said that it was because you couldn't have one and i'm like oh and i just appreciated that like her even just the way she dealt with me in that moment just it, it was just so amazing, like to have that, to have that team. And I could not have done it without any of them. And, um, so I really felt supported and, um, yeah, so I gave birth just around noon, um, to sky to little, little baby girls, right? Seven pounds. We didn't have a name for it. We actually kept it a surprise. So we didn't know the sex until she was born. Um, and yeah, and then we were in the hospital for about just one night, probably about 36 hours. Um, I felt good. So we actually, went home. Yeah. Within, within the first 36 hours and, and then continued my postpartum at home. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that. And just, yeah, the support you had. And I think it's helpful for people to hear your experience with transition because it is, it's common in transition to that. Your, your body and your brain is just like, I need to get out of here. I'm yes. done. And often the midwife will be like, that means we're, we're pretty close right. when you're close. wanting to escape at this point. So, right. It's and that's and yeah. Looking back now, I, I I don't think I had the capacity to understand it in that moment. But looking yeah. back now and thinking about all the other birth stories I listened to, like that's I remember learning that with other and I, maybe even from you. Maybe you talked about it that yeah. normally it's that point where the woman says I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Is usually okay. We're about you know that transition yeah. point. So I if if that is a true thing, I definitely yeah. experienced it. 
And I just remember, I just remember saying to my husband and, and like, I can't do it. Like, and in my mind be like, okay, I want, I want to, I want to quit. And my husband, like Rachel, like there's no, there's, there's only one way for here, you know, um, which is kind of silly. Like the things you think about, like in my mind, I was like, okay, I just want to stop. Can someone else do this for me? I'm done. You know, yeah. um, it's just kind of funny. The things you, the things you think about, but, and it wasn't too much longer after that, that yes, that I able to get through and, 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 and yeah. I love how you talk about zoning in versus mm-hmm. zoning out. I think that's such a great way to look at it. Cause that's yeah. really what it is. You're not escaping or going out you're really going inwards with it so I think a lot of people are gonna take that too yeah how how was pushing for you do you remember kind of pushing that might yeah be blurry too I do no that was I remember that because it felt super long so I between the transition and the pushing was about three hours look my midwife was awesome she was very much like just letting me like just letting me do what felt good for me um, so she didn't do any kind of coach pushing. She's like, you feel, you push whenever you feel it. And I remember learning about it in your course, the, um, oh, I'm the, uh, the, the reflex. Injection. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, and at one point I remember something felt different and I felt a lot of change of pressure, like, mm-hmm. and a lot of pressure specifically down, even on my, like down on my perineum in my, in my anus. And I remember thinking, oh, this must, it's felt very different. So I told her, I was like, I think I'm feeling I think I'm feeling the urge to push. She's like, okay, go ahead and push. And looking back now, I started pushing way too soon. Mm. That was not the, the, that reflex. When you experience a reflex, it's like, okay, you know, right. So that wasn't it. Yeah. So I started pushing too soon, I think. And so that, I think kind of made my pushing a little bit longer. If I had waited a little bit, maybe it would have been shorter. So I think I started pushing a little too soon. Um, but she was amazing. And we had already talked about whatever positions. And I, I was, I never left my hospital room, which I actually thought I would be walking around more. Um, but because I think my, the contraction, thing started so fast and so quick, um, you know, uh, but I, you, I mean, I labored a lot on the toilet. That was probably my favorite place was on the toilet loved it. Um, I did a lot and, um, initially on the ball, like kind of on all fours. And then I did a lot on the bed, but I put the hospital bed up and kind of like on my all fours on the hospital bed. So I was leaning on the head of the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of on all fours, felt a really good position. When I started pushing, I did a lot. I, I was just constantly moving. Um, and my midwife was oct- uh, kind of guiding me to, to change, try different positions because the baby, um, she was, and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you had said the more common way is for the baby to come down, uh, left LOA, left yeah, occiput initially anterior. getting into the pelvis for initially, some, it can be a bit easier to tuck right. their chin, but they do rotate right. initially too. So sometimes rotate. they enter in a different, yeah. Right. So my, like my baby, she wasn't, you know, a sunny side up necessarily, but she came down on the other side. And I remember my midwife saying after that, it's sometimes the baby comes out on the other side of the pelvis. It can, it just, it's a little harder for them to kind of turn. And so we did a lot of like him spinning baby kind of things to help and encourage the baby to kind of get down and get rotated in a better position. So I did a lot of lunging and with my contractions, but also during pushing, mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of squatting. We had the, like the squat bar right up on the bed a lot. So I pushed initially a lot in squatting and lunging. I really like pushing it right on the bed in a lunge position. Um, 
squatting felt really good, but he, because it, my push for so long, I, I, my legs got so fatigued. Mm-hmm. I, I just was like, I can't stand anymore. So I ended up the position I gave, I actually was kind of on my back, mm-hmm. but I was the, the bed, the bottom of the bed kind of comes down. And so I was not laying, I remember thinking, I don't want to lay on my sacrum. Right. So I pushed myself down and they set the squat bar up. And so that I was basically my whole bottom was basically hanging off the edge of the bed. Mm-hmm. And so it was really just my upper back on the bed. And I could kind of pull myself forward, grabbing a squat bar. So I was basically doing a nice squat, but kind of in a semi-reclined, um, not a fully reclined position um, for the last few contractions. And that's kind of how I gave birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I was moving. I tried every single position and for me, it just felt good just to move. And, and I, my midwife was just, just do what feels good. Um, and so just kind of moving around, that's, that's what really felt good. Uh, one thing that I really wanted to do, um, was try water, try the bath. Right. And at our hospital, there's one um, bathtub and it's kind of first come first serve. So soon as I checked in at the hospital, I told the nurses, like, I want the tub and they went to fill it up and I never got to use the tub, just kind of the way the cookies crumbled. It takes about 45 minutes to fill it. They started filling it. Um, I also actually was positive for GBS, Mm -hmm. which meant I needed to get the um, antibiotic IV. And so when the tub was ready, it just, the timing didn't work out. I wasn't quite finished with the antibiotic. Um, and then I progressed so fast by the next time I requested the tub, it was a couple hours in, they started filling the tub a second time, but that's when within three hours I went into transition and they checked me and I was nine centimeters and they're like, okay, now it's too late. Cause our hospital, they don't actually allow, um, delivering in the tub. So I never got to use the tub. Maybe next time, if I have another baby, maybe next time, but yeah. Oh, well, I think that's great to hear Like the movement, right? You tried Mm -hmm. so many things. That's what we always talk about is like, we don't know what your body will want before Mm -hmm. you give birth, before you push. So Mm -hmm. the fact that you had a midwife that was so supportive, like Mm -hmm. do what your body needs to do, Rachel, and we're here and we can support, but no one else knows what your body wants Mm -hmm. other than you. right? Right. So and we yeah. used, I used everything. I used the, um, the peanut ball. I used that a lot sideline with the peanut ball. Um, and the doula was amazing and they were great. They would like, they could sense I'd started to get a little comfortable. So they would suggest let's try a different position. And so for me, it was just moving from position to position. Like that's kind of what really, really helped. I did some walking, some standing, some kind of using my husband and kind of dancing, kind of using him like a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the toilet is probably where I spent a good chunk of the time and I really did like laboring on the toilet yeah there's such there's such a key reason why they call it the dilation station it works Mm -hmm. so well Mm -hmm. um you know like we connect to relaxing the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. you're using gravity there's no pressure on the perineum so did you end up when you were sitting were you facing out a lot and leaning on your husband or doula or did you turn around but the hospitals don't always have um correct on the toilets right so you can't always do that Right. So I was facing forward. They had no back facing forward and my doula, like she was like right there. I did a lot of leaning on her and she would kind of massage and kind of do a lot of physical, like while I was going through contractions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I rely a lot on her. Amazing. Well, yeah. Thank you for sharing about your birth and how was your, how was after birth, your recovery, whether I know you stayed for a little bit in the hospital, but Mm -hmm. even once you went home and kind of those initial kind of weeks after. 
Yeah. So my, I think my overall, my recovery, like physical recovery went super well. I'm very happy and very grateful. Um, really no complications that way. Um, I had a grade two tear, so I did require just a few stitches. Um, um, but that really healed. Like I said, it, we spent about 36 hours in the hospital. All, every sky looked great. She passed every test. Um, I felt great. So we decided to, you know, I felt more comfortable wanting to come home and I'm glad I did. Um, I actually had already signed up for a, a pelvic health physical therapist. So that's another absolute must. I think it should be mandatory, you know, mm-hmm. probably I'm a little biased as we both are PTs, <laughs> but it, even as a PT myself, I understood I needed, I wanted that support, you know, mm-hmm. of the, the, the women's health PT. So I actually went and saw, I did one, uh, visit during my pregnancy in my third mm-hmm. trimester to meet the therapist, I wanted to kind of establish a plan of care. She assessed my pelvic floor at that time, Mm -hmm. kind of to get an idea of like, you know, um, basically how I was prior. And then I saw her at starting at six weeks, I went back to the pelvic health PT. Um, and so she helped a lot for that. But the first six weeks, I really followed your guidance of everything Mm -hmm. from your course that I learned. Mm -hmm. Um, and everything really, really went well for my physical um, body and I had everything prepped in your class mm-hmm. where all of the items, the postpartum items, yeah. I mean, you had, a, I literally everything on your list, I just went and, and bought and I had all of that prepped, which I think is, yeah. I would recommend so much to people to have everything there. Mm-hmm. Um, I side note, one thing I really, really liked is the, was it the Bayo, Bayo Bay? I don't know. Yeah. The bloomers, those yes. un, like the underwear. I actually didn't wear them much during my pregnancy. I had like, mm-hmm. I actually bought their belly band or their, yeah. their, um, their band. So I used that, mm-hmm. but I, those on the underwear I used all in the postpartum and that felt amazing. I remember the first day I kind of forgot about them for the first day or two. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I put them on and it was day and night change of how supported I felt like on my pelvic floor. Yeah. Um, so I wore that, that was huge, huge help for me. Um, but I felt like very prepared based on your course of, okay, I knew what to expect. I had everything ready. So that went smoothly. Um, the piece of my postpartum that I've struggled a lot about or struggled a lot with was breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of mentioned a little bit to you, my breastfeeding journey mm-hmm. whew, was, um, very, very difficult, very, very difficult, but I'm happy to say as of today, things have gotten much better. Yes. Um, yeah, things are doing much better, but I think the piece, essentially what happened with Sky, she had a tongue tie. Um and the first couple of days was became very painful very quick. Uh I again had done lots of research before. I took a breastfeeding class prior with my husband and I, and so I had an idea of what to look for what to expect. Um, but from day one, right in the hospital, I also requested lactation consultant because here it's not automatic. You have to request it. So I knew enough ahead. I, I wanted that support. So I kind of got that, kind of got that going. Um, so over the first few weeks, it just continued to be super painful. Um, I actually ended up seeing three different lactation consultants who were amazing and they all helped in little ways, but it just never really got better. Um, Uh, I mean, they were helpful in some ways, but it just, it kept being very, very painful. I personally, I really, really 
um, I'm kind of a stubborn person. So when I set my mind to something, I really, really want to achieve it. And I think it was partly that, that persistence that helped me get to the point where I am today, but it was so difficult. There were so many times I wanted to give up because it was so hard and so painful, but I felt, I sought out all the resources I could, um, really asked for a lot of help. And finally, you know, I, where I am today, um, but going through that journey, I completely understand now why so many women don't breastfeed or try and then stop because of pain and man, it was really, really tricky. And I think, um, there's so many reasons or resources out there, but really not like we're still in my experience here in Fairbanks, Alaska, there actually aren't a whole lot of resources. We have lactation consultants, but after that, there wasn't a whole lot. So essentially what happened with Sky is she had a posterior tongue tie. I'm not sure what you know of that. I knew nothing. I knew of the concept of a tongue tie. Mm -hmm. um, but what I've learned now is there's an anterior tongue tie and there's a posterior. Um, so the anterior is more classic, very easy to assess. That's when it's, you can usually see it where you can't stick or the baby can't stick their tongue out. Sky had no problem sticking her tongue out. So when I'd go to a lactation consultant, okay, we can stick the tongue out. The lactation consultants here from get-go picked up very early. There's She has tension. So she may not have a tongue tie, but she can't move her tongue very well. And it's that that's really causing us. She had a very shallow latch. Um, unfortunately, there was, we have no providers here who can officially, and they, so they, they taught me a lot about, they think it's a posterior tongue tie. They are not able to fully diagnose that. So essentially, but there was no provider in town who specialized in that. So I actually ended up flying to Seattle, um, which is like a four hour flight from Fairbanks with Sky, setting up an appointment there with a specialist at a clinic having her assessed. And sure enough, she did have a posterior tongue tie um, and they released it. It was actually a fairly simple procedure. They did a simple, they used a laser and night and day, night and day with within the very, the next time I fed, it was absolutely different where she could, and you could visibly see she could actually fully latch. And within a week, pretty much all of my pain was gone. So now I'm about three weeks post having that procedure done. And it's essentially back to what I, what I always imagined breastfeeding would be. That's finally, I've reached that. Like it's, it's not painful. Um, it, it's just amazing. And so I'm just so thankful that I kind of knew enough and had enough support to keep asking questions and keep seeking until we kind of really found out what was, what the, the, the root of the problem was, mm -hmm. um, because now, so I'm sky's four months tomorrow. So now with four months, it took me to finally get to a point of breastfeeding where not only is it not painful, it's, it's like, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's, um, yeah. So that was, that was a really difficult journey, I think for me and what I am now a huge advocator to help. And I hope other women, if you're going through breastfeeding and you're having difficulties, like making sure you're going to, to seek that out. And the thing is, I actually went to like the lactation consultants referred me to a couple local dentists because mm -hmm. dentists are actually qualified. That's one providers qualified to do it. But when I went to them, I went to two different dentists, they both looked and assessed her and said, 
oh, she can stick her tongue out. She doesn't have a tongue tie. So I think there's a little bit of divide in the research and the knowledge that the idea of this posterior tongue tie is fairly new. Um, and so a lot of providers who may have been um, educated you know, maybe years ago that they may not, they, they don't, they don't know, they, they're not informed as much of this posterior tongue tie. Um, so she, they just kept telling me she's fine. She doesn't have a tongue tie. Um, but in the end of the day she did. So yeah, I learned I, a lot. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Rich, because I think it's going to help others here, whether they've had little ones and maybe they're pregnant again, or thinking of getting pregnant again, or you're expecting for the first time to hear this, right? Because I think I'm like, I realized we haven't had an episode on tongue tie and I feel like we should mm -hmm. have an episode just about tongue tie because, yeah. um, my little ones both had tongue ties. My son's was less noticeable and even my daughter's mm -hmm. was less. And I think everyone's experience is different too, because mm -hmm. I, with my daughter, I didn't have, I had a lot of milk supplied. There was no mm -hmm. pain, but essentially she could just kind of chug milk, but wasn't yeah you know, really milking the breast. And so there can be other things sure. that can come up with that. And anyways, we ended up getting it resolved, but, um, and then I kept an eye out for my second and I said, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that this gets caught sooner. And so I think it is key for people to hear that. And it's true. It depends where you live. It depends mm -hmm. on the professionals, where you live, what they, you know, some, feel that tongue ties, you know, there's only one way to address them. Some don't feel like you should get them lasered Correct. or, um, or use a scalpel and other ones feel like you should. And really kind of comes down to what we talked about with birth. There should be options. Mm -hmm. You should be given the options and then do as the, the parent being able to make that decision of what feels best. Correct. Um, but I do agree tongue tie. There's, there's so many different ideas around it or opinions. Right. right. And, it's uh, yeah. It can be kind of a controversial topic exactly because, and that's what I, and that's what I experienced a lot too, is some, one provider may say this, or even just searching online, right. For information and mm -hmm. getting back and forth. But I found a couple of really good resources and that really helped. Um, one is a man named Dr. Gahiri, mm -hmm. G-H-A. G-H-A-H-E-R-I. He's based out of Portland. He's an ENT out of Portland. I follow him. He's on social media, Facebook. He is amazing. I need to give him a shout out because he just, he's putting out so much information about the differences and, and kind of the newer research that's coming and kind of clinically what he sees. And he's a huge advocator for um, breastfeeding or not just breastfeeding, even bottle feeding, but feeding, you know, and finding what works best for mom and baby. Um, he's very, very supportive. That was a huge, that was a huge uh, resource for me. Um, but yes, it's, but even with that, I, I also didn't want to, I was nervous. I don't want to jump to a medical intervention before. So I also did kind of everything else. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I took Sky initially to uh, um, OMM or osteopathic manipulation because yeah. um, that was a we have a few of those and we did we did that multiple times. I took her to a cranial sacral therapist who was also recommended, um, and so and I myself being a PT could see you know how much tension she had. And it was very very interesting that with the oral, with just having a tongue tie, how much, and it makes sense, or, you know, our hip bone is connected to your toe, everything, right? Mm -hmm. How just even oral tension in a baby, how it can just 
cause tension the whole way down her body. And so mm-hmm. when she would breastfeed and essentially what was explained to me by the, one of the nurse practitioners that it just think of it, if you can't, the baby can't use their tongue appropriately. It's like she was using her whole body to compensate. And so she started developing like a torticollis and started developing like, you know, like very obvious tension on one side of her body. Um, and so me, myself as a PT would try to address kind of more body work. So I did a lot of body hands-on to help decrease the tension and it helped in little ways, but not, not for me. So I did all that first wasn't. And then finally the last step was, okay, I need to go get this assessed. And it, for me, having that procedure with Sky was absolutely the final piece of the puzzle. It wasn't the only thing, the final piece that brought everything together. And now she's, she's thriving and I'm thriving. So it really worked. It really worked for me. Um, so I'm just a huge advocate of hope, like letting people know that there are other options and there's lots of things, but to make sure you're going to provider who fully understands oral tension and can do a proper assessment and, and lactation consultants. Oh my goodness. They're amazing. 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 Um, and a shout out to the clinic. If anyone is listening in the Seattle area, the clinic I went to is called Pacific wellness and lactation out of Seattle. They were amazing. There's three different providers there. Um, from the moment I walked in I was, cause I flew all the way down there by myself. My husband's couldn't come and it was very scary experience for me. It was very nerve wracking flying for the first time with my baby. And from the moment I walked in that clinic, they were just hands down. So encouraging, empathetic, they explained everything so well. Um, I've had follow-ups with them virtually there. So that they, they are amazing. They were kind of the, the last piece that really helped, um, really helped Sky and I. So I'm very grateful for them. Uh, yeah. And thank you for sharing and all of the postpartum supports that you found helpful on your journey too with that. Cause I think, again, that's another piece. A lot of people don't think of that until after. Mm-hmm. And so even hearing your story and now thinking ahead, okay, oh, okay, I'm giving birth to my first, maybe I should look into lactation consultants or understand more about breastfeeding and bottle feeding and formula. I find it's key to understand all the pieces um, mm-hmm. before you give birth, if possible, just so yeah. then you're educated on what supports are even available to you. Yeah. Yeah. And one last person I need to give a shout out to also, I cannot forget is I also saw an occupational therapist, a pediatric occupational therapist here in town. And she was key. She was really the one who helped bring everything together because I'd gone already to the other providers, gone already to multiple dentists. She was the one who really brought everything together and finally kind of helped me come to the conclusion of I, that there wasn't I may need to to search somewhere else to get um, assessment. And so she really helped me bring everything together. And that that's what kind of was the final straw for me. Like, okay, I'm going to seek um, a provider. And I found one in Seattle. So that occupational therapist was, was amazing too. Oh. I had so much support. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, yeah, thank you, Rachel, for sharing your pregnancy, birth, postpartum experience. And I'm curious, what would be some advice you would give to someone who's listening, who's expecting or planning on becoming pregnant? For me, I think two things. Number one, doula. Hire a doula. I I can't stress that enough. I I I don't know how I would have given birth without her. Um, she was amazing, um, as well as my midwife, two of them together. But I think hiring that doula is was key. And second was taking your class, like educate myself, educating yourself and preparing yourself 
for postpartum. I think so much emphasis, especially when you give birth is obviously as a new mom is on the baby, 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 which is obviously necessary. But I think taking that time, the best time to do it is before you give birth to prep and plan for your post postpartum. And so taking a class like I did with your, with you to, to make sure I was prepared with everything postpartum, I think would be my two big, two big pieces of advice. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that, Rachel, and can't wait to share this episode. I know so many are going to be impacted by what you shared. Um, so yeah, thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 